G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 105 with Matt Rowley. I'm joined by uh, Scott Allen, mate. How are you? Very good. Good to be back on again and talking more rugby. Two in a week. Two in a week. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Um, but there's a lot, a lot happening, and um, you know, you get a lot out of these uh, tour matches. I think, um, which uh, so I think we need to ha- have a bit of a, a chat about it. Shall we just get stuck, stuck straight in? I think. Um, talk about the game last night uh, with the. Uh, Lions rolling the uh, the force. I don't think that was a surprise. Um, so British and Irish Lions ended up uh, putting sixty nine points on the force, but who um, managed to score seventeen themselves. I thought you know big scoreline. Um, however, I thought there were some interesting areas in there where the force actually did pretty well. Uh, the set piece being most notable. What do you think? Yeah. Well, look the. the- British and Irish Lions, as we've all talked about, will build their whole game on the set piece. Mm. And so we came in last night with um, Dan Cole on the tighthead side of the scrum, who, you know, everyone's talked about being potential starter for the Lions, but their scrum didn't do much, did it? The uh, the force held them really well. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that I think what Jones showed against the Barbarians showed that he's, he's a much better tighthead. Um, but... I thought the force did a great job, and by holding them at the scrum, and then you you extend that through to the lineout. The the Lions lineout was a bit patchy with uh, Rory Best throwing, which was a bit ordinary his throwing, and you know I didn't think their locks did a great job at the lineout either. So by holding their set piece, the force you know, gained a bit of traction. No, they, um, they certainly and they gave it a couple. And like in the scrum, the Lions they gave it a go a couple of times on their own ball, obviously especially. Um, you know, held it in there and gave a couple of second shoves, and they weren't going anywhere, were they? No, they weren't. And and that's you know, there's one of the clues for the Wallabies. You know, if you can hold them or get on top of their set piece, that takes away a lot of the central plank of the Lions' game plan. Mm. You know, they rely on being a very dominant scrum and having a good line out where they win very clean ball and win it. You know, and then win a fair share of yours as well. Yeah. So um, no, I look. I thought the force did well in in both. Uh, areas. Yeah, I mean, and like you say, with uh, Healy, I mean, I've when you looked at it when he went down with his injury, it looked like he busted an ankle. The way he reacted to it, they're now saying it's ligaments, but just the way he reacted to it, you think, well, if it's just ligaments, I think he's surely done something pretty bad there. Um, so you would think he's not going to be there. Um, if he's not, then it's uh, Jenkins, right, who comes in. I mean, still not a bad scrummager, but probably not quite the threat uh, that Healy offers. Yeah, well, look, I, you know, I, yesterday afternoon I was at a point of thinking we're in all sorts of trouble with our scrum. Mm. We're going to get dominated, and that's in terms of the Wallabies. And then I came away from last night after that injury to Healy thinking, well, that, that puts us back in the game. Yep. Um, I mean, Jenkins, who I expect would be the next, next cab off the rank, he is good loose head, but he's not going to dominate uh, whoever our tight head is like I think Healy would have. Mm. And, and you'd have to think Healy, even if it's only ligaments. I mean, that looked like a horrible way that ankle rolled under Mm. that he'll be out for a significant period of time so i I think that is a massive you know leg up for the wallabies i think their scrum now will be good but not as dominant as i was thinking it might be yeah no i think uh, that was one of the things was you know when they first packed some of those scrums it was like oh here we go and the force um, did really well there another area i thought the force did pretty well uh was just around the ruck you know the pick and drive um they scored uh, one or two tries kind of that way. And I kind of felt, you know, if they'd maybe stuck at it, I mean, every time they went to pass it to the back, so I was kind of shouting at the screen, saying, no, just keep it tight. Because <laughs> um, that's when it went wrong, both in attack and defence, just about every time, once it got past 10. But, uh, you know, they, they made quite a, a lot of yards around there, which I didn't expect them to do. Yeah, look, I, I think in tight, um, the Lions last night didn't have Paul O'Connell. Yeah. Um, who obviously played on Saturday against the Barbarians, I think he makes a major difference. He's a, he's a lock that plays very tight, he's very strong in defence, um, and also you know, is good in their attack as well. 
Um, I mean, yes, you're right. There were holes opening up there. And uh, interesting, we had a look at a bit of a more detailed look at the Barbarians game the other day. And the same sort of holes were opening up. They can be quite lazy around the edge of the ruck. Um, and there are opportunities there. And, and we saw one uh, where Yeshveli for the Barbarians, um, Adam Jones had made a tackle, and he's, he's very slow getting off the ground. And left, they left a massive hole where he should have been alongside the ruck, and Yeshveli went through it. Um, so there are some opportunities in close like that and after we see the Reds game we'll probably cut up some footage of that just to show you some of those opportunities that are coming but there's another area for Australia to attack Yeah, it's not an area that I think the Wallabies have really nailed um, as a team I've got to say I think there's a few like if I remember rightly in the World Cup they kind of gave it a go and then seemed to lose their nerve and went back to that kind of um, two out sort of pattern um, but if they can reinstall that, I mean, I think that could be really interesting to try and um, to, to try and mix that up. But I mean, anyway, I mean, you go back to the game and you're just looking at some, just looking at some of the stats here. Um, some of them are pretty horrific. The force actually missed 56 tackles. Um, Ouch! <laughs> I'm not sure if I've seen that stat. 56 tackles before. Um, yeah. So I mean, basically, if you haven't seen the game, my feeling was whenever the force managed to keep it tight. Um, they actually they were in with a shout. Um, you know, it wasn't easy going for them, obviously, but, geez, as soon as it, it went out wide, either in attack or defence, it was just... Um, and, and as you would expect, I mean, a lot of these guys aren't even super rugby players um, and, you know, really got carved up. Um, so, yeah, and also turnovers-wise, they gave, you know, 15 turnovers. Interestingly enough, it didn't feel like this watching it, but uh, you've got here penalties conceded, British and Irish Lions 14, Force 9. Um which was interesting because, again, my uh, coloured glasses of Glenn Jackson was that I kind of felt he had the, the Lions having the run of it. But anyway, I mean, they were clearly dominant as a, as a side anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. What do we get out of that game for the Wallabies, mm. you know, looking at it? And Gatlin has said that the first three games, everybody will get a start. Mm-hmm. So he's rotating players through. And, I, I mean, I think that probably had half of the likely test team started last night. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the guys that performed really well, I mean, I, I think that that will be the back three for the Lions mm-hmm. in the first test, actually. Halfpenny, Bow, and North. Half and they were all very good. Halfpenny's kicking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, um, I mean, he kicked for Wales, and he was that good in the Six Nations as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he will clearly be the number one kicker. Well, 11, 11 from 11. Well, and most of them were out, or not most of them, but there were a lot of them out on the corner yeah. post. yeah. <laughs> He still just kept slotting them through. Yeah, he was excellent. Yeah. So, and, um, and did you see um, it's, it, the coach, the kicking coach behind him? Is it Jenkins? Yes, Neil um, Jenkins. Yeah, it's so funny. It's, there's some great camera shots where basically you can see Jenkins is like taking the kick with him <laughs> and leaning. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. You see him. He, he looks up at the post. He looks down at the ball. He leans. He, he and he actually, as Halfpenny goes to run forward, so, do, so does he, because um, he then runs up and takes the thing. Anyway, that was. Quite, I mean, he was a fantastic kicker in his day as well, but that yeah. halfpenny. I mean, and that's, if he, if he continues that sort of form, you know, at test match level, that's, that's a, what a weapon that is in itself. Yeah, well, as I said, he's been in that form for a while too. That, yeah. That's not, you know, oh, gee, what a surprise. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then the other bit, uh, the back row, I think, was another, uh, apart from Warburton, obviously. But, um, God, Heaslip had a good game. Yeah, well, look, Heaslip's a fantastic player. Mm. He hasn't shown his best form over the last couple of years. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I picked Heaslip to start at eight when I went through that series I did recently, and I know a lot of people were saying, are you mad? You know, he's been so out of form. Mm. But he's a guy who started all three Lions tests last time in 2009 and played like he played last night. Mm. Um, big game player, lots of experience, just hasn't been hitting the highs at Ireland, and and I think the captaincy probably weighed on him this year. Yeah, um, but he was fantastic, wasn't he? No, very good. I mean, for the for the um, oh, just before we you know continue on because we'll, we'll talk about what we think that means to the Lions. But um, just from the force, I mean, tough game. Um, I don't think you know considering what was going on. Sam Norton Knight again didn't have a bad game. Um, put on some dominant tackles. Um, you know, hard, kind of hard. Like I say, hard to tell in a game like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't think he acquitted himself too badly. Um, no, he, he was quite good. Uh, yeah. Matt Hodgson was outstanding for the force. Yeah. I mean, yeah. real captain's knock there. Yeah. 
No, he, so, he put in some hard yards and some big hits. So, sorry, yeah, back to the Lions. You were saying what you think that means then for, for going well, forward. Well, I also think the other thing is that they played last night Tuolagi at 12 and O'Driscoll at 13. And I thought O'Driscoll showed why he's likely to be playing in the test matches. He's still got it, I think. Yeah. Um, but the Tuolagi, who is not a 12, he normally plays 13 for England. Mm-hmm. And the Lions game and the Welsh game, because they're very similar is based on getting that go forward at 12. Mm. And you saw Jamie Roberts in the game against the Barbarians. He gave them that. Mm. And the, the experiment of Tuolagi at 12, I don't think that worked last night. Mm. So um, I'd be... I actually think we might see Roberts and O'Driscoll in the centres against the Reds just to see whether they go back to how they played in 2009. Interesting. Because both of them have looked in very good form in the first two games. Mm. Um Tuolagi, I know that you know he offers he offers a lot, but I think he's probably more playing for a position um, at thirteen. Mm. So I I think without that punch at twelve last night, the Lions game plan and together with the lack of dominance at set piece time, mm. the Lions game plan just didn't look like it was working properly last night. Mm-hmm. So I think they're keys for them. Mm-hmm. Um, looking through other guys, I mean, I thought. O'Brien from Ireland in the back row, he was very good. Mm. Um, I didn't think Croft from England was as good as I had expected him to be. Mm. So, I mean, O'Brien would be pushing Croft for the number six spot very hard, I would think. Mm. Uh, Warburton, they said, was fit for last night, but they chose not to play him, but he would therefore start against the Reds on Saturday. So that'll be interesting to see how his form goes because Tipperick was very good the other night against Mm. the Barbarians. Mm Um. You know, Healy, well, look, Healy was looking all right, but you'd have to think he's out um, for a long time anyway. Apart from that, I mean, Sexton was, he's clearly a better fly half than Farrell. Yeah. You know, just directed the game very well. Um, And he's a threat himself, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I I thought uh, Rory Best at hooker showed that he's probably the third hooker in the the squad, given the way he was throwing. Yeah. And that was why he didn't get selected in the first place. He had some some poor throwing for Ireland this year. And I thought Conor Murray at halfback showed that he's probably the third halfback. Right. Um, I mean, he was all right, but compared to how Phillips played the other night and and how Young's played when he came on, you know, I I think he's a backup. But, you know, if you look at what Gatland has said, that everybody's going to get a start, you know, you're looking at a side coming up against the Reds this weekend where they'll probably have Geth and Jenkins... Tom Youngs and Matt Stevens in the front row. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think Matt Stevens and Tom Youngs are great scrummages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Stevens can be, but Jenkins is good. Uh, you probably see something like uh, Parling from England will be in the second row, and and maybe Richie Gray from Scotland, so they can have another look at him. Mm-hmm. Um, probably looking at a back row of something like Dan Lydiot from Wales, Sam Warburton, and probably Toby Fallatow. So you could see an all-Welsh back row against the Reds. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Youngs would have to start at halfback, given that Gatlin said everyone gets a start. Probably Farrell at 10. Um, and then you pro- I would think that they'd probably like to have a look at Roberts and O'Driscoll together in the centres, although it could be Roberts and Davies, so it could be the Welsh pair. Uh, probably Sean Maitland and, and Cuthbert get another start on the wing and, and Hogg um, at fullback. Yeah. They may seek to um, to not play Sexton at all and try and see whether or not Hogg can step in to replace Farrell late in the second half at number 10. Okay. Even though he's a 15, they've touted him as being the, the backup 10, so they might want to give him a run. Because effectively, these first three games, you know, I would say they're the trial games. Right. You would reckon that when the Lions play country next week, that's probably going to be the midweek team. Right. And then they go to the Waratahs with the test team and then the Brumbies with the midweek team, and then we're into the first test against the Wallabies. So, It's interesting because, you know, without having seen the names, um, but having a sense of it, I, you know, obviously the Waratahs are going to be missing a hell of a lot of players, um, either through injury or, or uh, Wallaby call-up. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can field. Um, I kind of feel, I mean, because I'm just looking at, so this morning we've had the Reds team announced, and I'll just run through that quickly in case uh, people haven't seen it. So you, uh, you've got Daly, Hanson, Holmes, Wallace Harrison, O'Donoghue, Quirk, Robertson, Chats, Chats, 
um, Frisbee, Cooper, Morahan, Fianga, Tapawai, Davies, and Lucas. Um, and then on the bench, Anai, Sam Denny, who's de- debuting, and Jono Owen, Queensland debut. Uh, Radiki Samo, I think we might have heard of him. Jared Butler, Jono Lance, Mike Harris, and Dom Shipley. So there's quite a few Wallaby caps there, isn't there? Yeah, look, that that's not a bad side. I I actually thought that the guys that are apparently playing for country next week in Daly, Holmes, and Robinson mm. wouldn't have been allowed to play. They're, they're basically going to have to back up for a game within four days, um, which would have weakened the Reds. But that's not a bad Red side. No, I so, think it's about as good as they could put out, isn't it, without the Wallabies? Yeah, well, it is. There's no one there that you know they they've that you'd say, well, gee, they've left, and there's no one left on the bench that they hasn't been included in the 23, so yeah. uh, that's not injured. So they're going to go, they'll probably be, I'd reckon, the strongest Australian province against the Lions. Yeah, that's what, I, that's for, I mean, for, you know, without having done the, the proper arithmetic, I think it's definitely going to be a stronger side than the Tars will be able to pull out, put out, I think. Um, yeah. And so it'd be interesting if, if the Lions are still, you know, testing out combos and shaking it up a bit, it could be interesting. Yeah, well, Gatlin has said that the first three games, everyone gets a start. And so if you follow to that, you know, they're not going to be playing, you know, what will probably be their test side. And then he'd want their test side to be running, you know, the week before the first test. So that'll be really the Waratahs game. And then you've got the midweek games against Country and Brumbies. Well, he won't want the test players playing those. So I'd reckon this is the last game where there's any trialling of things. And then... He'll make his selections next week, and everyone will basically slot into midweek or test team, subject to form and injury. Yeah. Well, so you've got twelve. So yeah, the Reds should should be competitive. Yeah. Well, twelve Wallaby um, cat players, um, nine of which you know in in the squad, and, and nine um, starting. So um, yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. So it makes it definitely a game worth watching on Saturday night. That's for sure. Um, okay. So we've talked about the Reds team and. Uh, the assumed uh, Lions team. The only other bit of news, I guess, that kind of came out of last night, so was uh, is, is uh, Kean Healy. He's he's been cited for for biting on uh, Brett Sheehan. I don't think there's much vision of it, is there? Um, you know, as far as uh, TV or, or video. So it sounds. I mean, it, there is a citing hearing happening, but unless uh, Brett Sheehan was going to make a big thing out of it, and it sounds like he's already saying. He can't be sure whether it was just an accidental or not. Um, doesn't sound like that could go anywhere anyway. Yeah. I, the, the vision, you can see the arm sort of going towards the mouth and then bodies come in front, so you really can't tell. Um, and, and you're right, Sheehan has basically said, look, it's not going to go any further, but he's yeah. given a statement and there will be a hearing, but you'd think they'd find it inconclusive. Yeah, okay. And, and anyway, as we say, it'll be interesting to see if that makes any real... Impact because it looks like Healy is uh, unlikely to be doing too much um, in the series. Um, yeah, well, the, the Lions have already called uh, Cabacero out of the England team, who's in Argentina at the moment. Mm. He's he's apparently on a plane this morning, yeah. flying to Australia as cover. Yeah, so that sounds like it. Um, alrighty, so then uh, I think that's pretty much the Lions kind of. My, there is right actually is one thing that we didn't talk about, but I had made a note of about the Lions, mm. and this is just an interesting thing that on Tuesday. Let me just check. I think it's Tuesday. The Maitland Rugby Club are holding a uh, working bee, which I, I didn't understand this. The, when the first Lions team, which, which is now recognised as a Lions team, toured to Australia in 1888, the captain of the team, um, Robert Seddon, drowned in the Hunter River Jeez. while they were down playing a game. Oh, my goodness. And he's buried um, in Maitland. And ever since then, the Maitland Rugby Club have maintained his grave oh my goodness. as a mark of respect. So first ever Lions captain dies on the tour or drowns on the tour. The tour then continued. But uh, the Maitland Rugby Club, just anyone who's down that way, are running a working bee on Thursday between 1pm and 2pm at Campbell's Hill Cemetery um, at Talara. I think that's how it's said. Uh, anyone who can go along and help maintain the grave of the first ever Lions captain. So just just a bit of history there. Oh, wow. So they get a prod every 12 years, get out there and, and clean it up. Well, it says in the press release that they maintain it on a regular basis, but, yeah, obviously they, they must... Regularly, must, every 12 years. Yeah. 
Well, that's you know, a fascinating bit of history, isn't it? It is indeed. Well, there's lots of stuff, I mean, about the number of people they brought out in that tour and they played a whole bunch of Aussie Rules games, didn't they? Yeah. And it went for months, that tour. Um, you know, it's pretty fascinating. But when you come all that way, um, I guess that makes sense. Um, all right, cool. That's the Lions uh, for today. Um, other bits of news around the Aussie under-20s played um, overnight uh, and lost 1915. Uh, neither of us have actually seen the game, but from the reports, there's a good, great report on the site from Lee Grant, who uh, is one of the most valuable posters uh, at Green, Green, Green and Gold. And uh, it sounds like our um, scrum got taken apart by the Irish. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then it sounds like there's a fairly fascinating finish to the game and very close, obviously, four points. And the um, the Australians tried to go for a driving maul, had a line out not far out from the Irish line. And in attempting to go for that driving maul to get the ball over the line, apparently the one of the Australian second rowers has trodden on or stomped, whatever it might be, I haven't seen the game, on one of the Irish players lying on the ground, penalty to Ireland, and the Australian player yellow carded. <laughs> and then there went the chance to win the game. So, oh, jeez. As we were saying off air before, you know, it's, it's odd that one of the Irish players is on the ground underneath a driving mall, and yet we're the ones who are in trouble for it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean without seeing the vision, I mean, unless he did something really, really silly, um, which you assume he must have, but otherwise, yeah. Anyway, that's a bit of a coach killer, that one, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so the only other bit is that this weekend, obviously we've still got a bit of super rugby, uh, if we can pay attention. So that's the, uh, on Friday, we've got Brumbies versus the Rebels uh, in the evening game. Uh, obviously, all these sides are depleted through uh, Wallaby call-ups and, and uh, injuries, unfortunately. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. Um, having said that, I guess if the Brumbies put this game away, are they, they're pretty much through. They just need. I think in our analysis earlier this week, we said one one win for them surely seals the conference. Yeah. So, and you'd think they'd do that against the Rebels, especially the Rebels. with Higgins out now. I mean, that's the other news we haven't talked about since. Is obviously Scott Higginbotham. Uh, he needs a shoulder surgery following his dislocation on the weekend, and he's out for the rest of the season, right? Yeah, it's an absolute. I mean, that that's a real blow for the Wallabies. Mm. Um, well, he was I mean, in such good form. And and, yeah. and and just as much for the Rebels, really. I mean, he was spearheading them, wasn't he? Yeah. And it, you know, we said the other night that Tamani and Yuani will... It looks like Yuani will be back. It's a matter of whether it's the second test or third test. Tamani's out for the series, but there are replacements capable to come in and fill that. But mm. Higginbotham's aggression, that, that's a real big blow. Mm. Well, you know, it looks like um, Ben Moen might finally be um, seeing a bit of action. Um, well, but yeah, I mean, the, now the talk is that that'll be on the bench, though, and mm-hmm. Dave Dennis will probably start at six. Yeah. Um, interesting in in you know in terms of the other we talked about the guys coming into the squad that some of the photos we've seen coming out of Wallabies training with uh, Kurtley Beale and James O'Connor basically in conference with the coaches talking about you know how the game's going to be run. So it looks like. They're the two that are, and most, you know, lots of the shots where they're actually running plays, mm. it's either one of those two standing at 10. Mm. So Kirtley Bill may not be, you know, just considered a fullback option. He may well still be in the running for the 10 slot. Oh, okay. That could be fascinating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just training with them, Scott, all right? He's not in yeah, the squad. He's not in the yeah. squad. I don't, know, I don't know why you're jumping ahead and thinking he no. might actually be selected. No, nor uh, do I. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me now, I've got Andrew the Ox Heath. So he's an ex-Wallaby, Waratah and a Red. That's going to be an interesting discussion, I think, just to find out where all the sympathies lie. Um, G'day, mate. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Matt and Scott. Great to to be on board. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. So we're going to talk through, um, in a second, your, your career. Um, because it's got some really interesting twists and turns in it. So where, where do where do the sympathies lie? I've got Scott on here, Rabid Red. I know you're up in Brisbane. Um, is it Waratahs or Reds at heart? Well, I finished up playing playing with the Reds. Um, yeah. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It was probably the start of the downside of my career. But um, we've uh, we live here now. My children uh, have all been born in Queensland, so uh, we support the local side. Mm-hmm. Um, I really noticed a difference in playing for each team against each other. Um, Queensland culture was, uh, you know, it was really 
tough to play against the Queenslanders and playing with the Queenslanders, a lot easier to play for Queensland against New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Really meant a lot more back then when I was playing. Yeah. Uh, my allegiance is still, you know, ultimately with Victoria where I'm b- born and bred. Uh, no, right. and it's, it, it's great to see, you know, obviously a Super 15 team there. It's probably a shame that we haven't seen the um, improvement of the local competition down there as a result. Right. But, um, you know, hopefully the, there's... Uh, mechanisms and uh, things put in place to make sure that there's some form of accountability there. So there's a few. I mean, uh, there's a few people who kind of like. Um, obviously, you and Mackenzie's a Victorian as well, right? So is that because props can't fit into AFL? They we end up they end up finding their way into other states. Yeah, possibly. Look, there wouldn't have been a place in the world for myself and, and you and Mackenzie <laughs> in Aussie rules. I did try it for many years, and yeah. it, it's, it, it was what I was brought up on. It's all I really knew as a child and uh, where I got my kicking skills from. Yeah. Uh, however, um, you know, it, it doesn't lend itself to the front row type. <laughs> and uh, we, we were recruited very quickly, both of us uh, into the rugby scene at Scotch College in Melbourne. Yep. Uh, Ewan was uh, uh, five years in front of me, so I was just inspired by going to the gym as a year seven, seeing this big guy with the biggest sandwiches in the world and lifting the biggest weights. Uh, I never knew he played rugby, but I was always inspired by the size of him. Yeah. And uh, when I found out what rugby was, which was only in year 11, um, managed to start playing there when I was 16. Yeah. Um, you know, Ewan, Ewan's name was uh, synonymous with uh, rugby and he then moved on to the Harlequins Club and then up, moved up to Randwick to make, the, uh, make a go at the big game, which he was uh, successful in. So, mate, that's an excellent segue. So, so what happened to you? So you, um, inspired by um, the, the big man and his sandwiches um, in, in year 11, obviously played the school. What happened? What was your trail from there? Yeah, well, the great thing about playing... Uh, in Victoria is there's, you know, I suppose not as much competition and we were in a very strong school. Scotch was undefeated in its eighth year when I was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, were, we would then play for a practice game, the Victorian team, and, you know, sometimes we'd put 100 points on the Victorian team. So we, when, when it would come time, the fairly much the most of the Victorian team was us. So, uh, you know, that gave me... In fact, my first game was for Victoria... Uh, before I'd actually played for Scotch. Uh, and that whole step-up scenario was a, a lot more of an easy target. Mm-hmm. So it just made every step of the way there was, you know, you're actually making a, a very large leap, let's say, in, in comparison to what would happen in New South Wales. Sure. So much so that, you know, we that at that time they had the Australian Institute of Sport, had the... Um, uh, so the combined southern states and uh, a lot of us from the Western Australia, South Australia um, and, and Victoria and the armed services uh, got another opportunity by signing a scholarship with the Australian Institute of Sport. So that was a great stepping stone. Mm-hmm. And my last, I suppose, representative before I moved was playing Australian under 21s mm-hmm. with uh, uh, John Eels and... Um, Jason Little and Tim Horan, although they were recruited into the main team that year, that was in 1990, um, but also the um, uh, Australian Institute of Sport and the Victorian team as well. But I found, you know, with Victorian senior rugby, it was, um, you know, it was somewhat um, a bit slapdash and, you know, they were picking the team the morning of the game and there was a few hangovers involved. So <laughs> I knew that uh, to move forward, I had to uh, move, uh, move up north. And, and was that when you moved on to, was it Eastwood? I moved to Eastern Suburbs in, mm-hmm. in Sydney mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that was a great club and, you know, part of the, the reason I played for the Wallabies, I think there was a very strong uh, East contingent and the Wallabies at that stage are emerging through coach Greg Smith, John Best and uh, we weren't the strongest team in the world. However, we had a very strong, uh, very strong scrum and, you know, that the word got around and it helped me get into the Waratahs and actually my first game for the Waratahs I was replacing Ewan McKenzie uh, who was injured at the time? All oh, right. So, because uh, Scott was telling me, you know, you, I mean, you know, you, you just move into the East team and you got the tap on the shoulder. Was it a bit of a trial by fire, trial by fire, kind of coming into the international scene with with the experience you'd had? Um, yeah. Look, you know, as I said to Scotty the, the other day, um, my learning curve was um, 
so high. You know, it's, it's pretty hard to recall uh, re- recall the times. You just you, your brain's going so fast. You're constantly learning. Mm. You're constantly playing. I suppose in a, in a way out of your depth until you build that comfort level within your depth. Mm. So. Um, you know, it was very exciting times. Time went very quickly. Ended up playing 108 games for uh, Easts, 30 or something around that for the Waratahs during that time. And, and whilst I was playing for the Waratahs when I picked up my test matches. So, and, and so how many tests did you end up playing? Ended up playing about eight tests, but also had a few splinters in my bum um, and ended up, you know, I think there was... 10 or so more games where I was on the bench mm-hmm. and at that time um, it was in the time when you couldn't have substitutes, it was the old um, old thing and we used to get our match payments doubled as soon as we ran onto that field so there was a lot of uh, um, reserve white line fever where we'd just try and touch that lime on the side because uh, we'd get uh, a double double paycheck at the time, it was very exciting but um, never never managed to, um, unfortunately uh, I think it was only one, once I came off the bench to get Get capped. The other times, I was kept firmly on the bench. And, and mate, what was what's your overriding memory of times with the Wallabies, other than obviously trying to get off the bench? But yeah, you know, when, when you're on the field, because you had a, you know um, a few caps there, what, what sticks in the, your memory the most? Oh, I think the, the most vivid memory is when I was warming up for my first main Test match against South Africa in 1996 at the Sydney Football Stadium, mm-hmm. and hugging in the circle. Uh, at, before the game, you know, we're all tight, we're all ready to run on. Uh, there's a lot of anticipation, uh, a lot of work that went into it. And, you know, looking across and seeing players like Eelsey, uh, David Campisi, um, you know, who was, a, who was a hero for me. I didn't know much about rugby, so, you know, I worshipped everything that uh, David Campisi did, even when he dropped the ball. You know, I always thought uh, Campo was the, was, was the man because he scored the tries. Yep. You know, and see guys like that who you were brought up a hero and then only the space of six and a half years, you, seven years, um, you were in that scene. Um, it was just, it, it was surreal. Yep. And, you know, running out in front of uh, so, many, so many people, the wake-up call came in the first scrum. It was like getting hit by a, uh, hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> who was your, can you remember who your opposite prop was that day? Certainly can. It was, uh, it was the South African version of the Ox. It was uh, the Os Durant. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, he, at that time, he was probably quoting about 125 kilos but was probably sitting at around 135 kilos and, uh, you know, was on top of his game as well. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> well, welcome to my Afrikaans nightmare. <laughs> was he te- was he technically good, or was it just a was he a big lump? He he could be technical technically good. Uh, he made up for a lot of it with strength, mm. and you know we we did play him a few times for against Orange Free State and managed to get on top of the OS. But you know I'd say out of it. We got parity, and I found further and further into the game, um, you know, he, he, when the big fellas get tired, they're a lot easier to uh, to get on top of. But at the beginning of a game, yeah, you'd sort of uh, you'd end up um, you'd end up paying for it for a few scrums. Yeah, because what sort of what sort of weight were you punching at the time? I was probably sitting a bit too heavy, but I was probably sitting on about one twenty five, okay. um, about one twenty five kilos at that stage. Okay. And I should probably know this because you've just told me that you're you're against um, Oz. But what side of the scrum did you um, mainly pack down in? Yeah, predominantly tight head. Uh, the only times that I really played loose head was um, um, in in a Test match, and also for for the Waratahs, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of times after that. But tight head was my um, my specialty. And did you prefer it for any particular reason, or was it size that you got put there, or how did that come about? Yeah, I think initially it was it was size. Uh, it, you know, it's obviously um, the part of the scrum. Most of the force goes through, and my strength was really around the you know the scrum line out, the the hand to hand combat side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was always really learning until the last day I played around you know defensive systems and um, and uh, you know b- b- ball running and breaking the line and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, try scoring wasn't my my forte except for one two two a. The Australian Barbarians, where I got uh, three tries in two in two successive oh matches, so I got a hat trick in in two games in a row. <laughs> so that was that was very exciting. But um, no, the try scoring side of things wasn't wasn't my specialty. Um, but, you must uh, have got fined pretty hard for that in the kangaroo in the court afterwards, didn't you? 
Oh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I did get fined a lot in kangaroo court and, um, you, you know, I uh, don't know what happened after that. <laughs> Mem- memory wiped. <laughs> yes, memory erased. <laughs> so then, mate, you went, you went on to play in France as well, didn't you? Yeah, so, you know, when I moved up to, moved a family and uh, up to play for the, for the Reds, got a contract there, uh, didn't go so well, um, you know, ended up being second string uh, for a year. Yeah, started off as, as first string, but um, Glenn, Glenn Hanno, Panaho was um, Pancho was favoured over me, and then Fletcher Dyson came into the scene. He was seen as an upcoming prop, which in the end, you know, he played a few Test matches for Australia. Um, so yeah, took took the opportunity to um, um, always wanted to play overseas. So um, signed a contract with a club called Beziers in France, and I don't know if you know your history, but. Um, Back in the days of the uh, 70s um, and early 80s, Beziers won, I think it was something like um, 12 uh, French championships in 15 years. Uh, They didn't do it through skill. They did it through um, uh, being quite violent, actually. I've seen a a few of the black and white videos of that, and um, the fight after halftime of each game would be um, unbelievable. But um, that was was, was basically like going to Mars and coming back alive, Playing in France, <laughs> and, and so Scott was saying that you, you felt you, you learned a fair bit there. Yeah, certainly did. You know, I thought you know the Australians, and you know, I worked in a very in an environment where still you know we took a lot of pride in the scrummaging. Taking one step backwards was really frowned upon. We had Alec Evans and Jake Howard um, involved in the Wallabies and and the state teams at that stage, and there was a very very um, uh, big emphasis on scrummaging, a lot of live scrummaging at training, a lot of scrums. We would take scrum machines around with us internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, there was we, We'd have front row camps, particularly before the Argentinian test, where we uh, spent six days together before the test match formulating the calls of the scrums, how we were going to combat the Argentinian scrums. Those calls still exist uh, in various pockets of world rugby today, including Australia. So, wow. Um, that you know that it, it did mean a lot then. Um, I remember you know getting played. Alec Evans played, made me watch a hundred times me taking one step back in the scrum on the engagement. Now I don't know how many times I've seen a step back or or a few um, in, in at that level over the last few years. Um, yeah. But um, you know it was it, it, it was a good good part. So it did help me with my status in the game. Mm-hmm. I suppose the real shift was when Rob McQueen came in and really wanting, you know, props to be multi-skilled as well as other positions, being able to, you know, once you're outside of the scrum, um, you know, everyone has, the, you should have um, very similar skills. That didn't really fit into uh, my mould, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and so because, I mean, that's an amazing, hearing about that's quite amazing because obviously it sounds like the game's changed quite a bit um, for the reasons that you just explained, um, do you do you think it's sad to have seen that kind of go that way, or how do you feel about it? Look, I think it's it's been sad for Australian rugby. Australian won the nineteen ninety nine World Cup for several reasons. Mm. Um, Rod McQueen brought in a business like attitude of running the team, so in a way, he left no stern, stone unturned. Uh, he had his support staff highly accountable. Mm-hmm. He had the players highly accountable and highly involved in the planning and that was new at that stage. Um, that was the real turnaround for, for professional rugby. Um, unfortunately, you can't patent those, uh, th- those methodologies. Treating it as a business is, is, you know, everyone's right and we were, basically we were picked up on, on that success. Unfortunately, we couldn't take Stage and the other legacy that that left was, I suppose, in the end, and this is you know a very coarse term, was depowering of of the scrum and the culture around the scrum mm. in Australia. So you know, since then we've had some pretty lean pickings um, around the scrum. You know, from basically two thousand and one, two thousand two onwards, when we you know had retirements of uh, Richard Harry and Andrew Blades and so forth, and you know the, the changes started coming in. Those props were really dealing with a scrum culture that you know they were trying to hold together themselves. It wasn't embodied by the whole country, and you know that's what I noticed in France. You know, you can lose the game, but you know, providing you've won the scrums, you know, that that's that's um, that's a big thing. Yeah, no, it's definitely a different culture here, isn't it? Um, 
And that's probably a pretty good segue into just talking about, you know, obviously uh, we've got these test matches coming up against the British and Irish Lions. Um, they've got a pretty formidable front row, which um, Scott's, uh, you know, taken us through on the site in, in, in um, ultimate detail. Um, for us to at least hold parity or, or do something in this test series, what's your view on what that front row should be for Australia? Yeah, so here's the problem in in that word parity. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have been, I, I think, trying to get parity now for too long. Yeah, uh, we've now got to shoot for ascendancy. Mm-hmm. You can't do that overnight. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is we're we're going in with a front row. Um, you know, let's say if it's one of the combinations which have been talked about with as Robinson Moore and Ben Alexander, mm-hmm. uh, th- they are experienced in, in two thousand and eight. They they did prove themselves. Unfortunately, since since that year, um, they've had mixed success, and I believe, um, you know, that the the lack of uh, quality in the scrum um, has resulted, you know, in some games going that could have gone our way, not go our way, yeah. and that's been quite disappointing. So really, these three, if they are picked, they must impress. And not just go for for parity, but go for um, go for dominance. Mm. That is going to be extremely difficult. Um, Healy's out, which will take away, you know, I suppose um, the the leading loose head prop in, in the in, in the British Lions, British and Irish Lions. However, um, incoming will be Jenkins, the teammate of Hibbert and Jones. So that solidarity in the front row, I think, will counteract. Um, Healy's um, Healy's exit, mm-hmm. um, and I still think we will be um, we will be up for it in the scrum. Ben Alexander has a huge task here in um, being able to contain this, and also you know Jones is on top of his game at the moment, extremely strong, and really you know even last year in the Welsh Test match, these guys take a huge amount of pride in their scrum. So just going for parity will end up under parity, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. We've got to go for ascendancy. Uh, we've got some um, we've got some technical challenges that we've got to overcome with um, with you know particularly with Ben. Ben's mm-hmm. got to you know drop his hips. He's got to um, he, he can't be folding in. We can't be giving away penalties. We've got to be strong. We've got to be aggressive. Um, we've got to work down low. That's mm-hmm. important. When we work down low, um, this is a very standard thing we 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 scrummage well we scrummage through but when we uh, get tired and uh, we flop in um where we're, we're going to get penalized and we're going to get dominated mate your choice between i mean alexander and, and, and slipper who would you be choosing first up yeah yeah look there is a bit of a tight head battle um you know he, he hasn't got an open path there by any means james mm. slipper uh impresses me a lot um he's the sort of prop who on that learning curve if you you know you the, the world cup is coming up and mm. we need to start making decisions now ben alexander's never been the same since his uh, injury after that 2008 year i think it was in 2009 mm. james slip has been uh part of um you know the most successful recent um super super 15 franchise um and he can play you know both sides uh, both sides quite well so i think you know i'd like to see james slipper uh, in there, um, Kepu, Kepu, you know he's he, he can be a risk in in many ways as well. Very strong, uh, very strong guy. Can can give away a few penalties. Ha, has had some very difficult, um, very difficult games indeed mm-hmm. um, over the last few years. So um, I haven't seen his recent form. Um, you know I'm at the coal face of junior <laughs> rugby at the moment. Yeah. However, um, you know. I suppose the, the selectors will will make the right decision there, but you know I'd like to see James Slipper uh, given a starting berth uh, against the British Lions. I think he definitely deserves that from what I've seen from the Reds. Okay, cool. Now you've got some playing coming up yourself, haven't you? So you've got a few matches and other things in between. You're going to be pretty busy around Lions time. Yeah, look, the boots were um, thrown into the Brisbane River in 2003, and, and uh, <laughs> Greg uh, Martin from Triple M convinced me to um, pull them out of the river and um, pop, put, them on, put them on a couple of years ago for the Classic Wallabies against the All Blacks for Christchurch appeal. Yeah. Um, I then threw them back in. Um, uh, I thought it was going to be uh, good good fun, mm. um, and it was at the time, but um, basically two weeks after, my, my body turned into a, uh, <laughs> a statue. I couldn't move, and uh, I think I had to lie in bed for a couple of days. <laughs> However... 
You've been talked back into it, mate. So it's Anzac I've, Legends, isn't it? My, my wife uh, nominated me for it, as she usually does these things without <laughs> thinking about my uh, longevity. And uh, we're now in. So um, I think it's Matt Dunning, uh, myself, Jeremy Paul. Uh, there's a few others uh, jumping on board. Hopefully, we've got Andy Mack, who was my mentor as a Wallabies um, legend, uh, tied air prop for Australia for the Grand Slam Tour. Hopefully, uh, he joins. So very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the more front row reserves, the better. <laughs> and uh, no, we're looking forward to that. And uh, then um, moving on um, to uh, Melbourne for the uh, 27th Melbourne Classic Wallabies against the, uh, the British and Irish legends. Wow. And that'll be at Lakeside Oval on the 27th. And that'll be a big thing going back to Melbourne and playing in front of uh, a home crowd where I actually played my first Wallabies game at Olympic Park. Um, so it'll be good to go back to Victoria and we'll follow that by on the 28th the Australian Sudoku Championships the 5th <laughs> Australian Sudoku Championships which um, actually these the Sudoku Championships um, was where John Eels became a uh, dual international which he was very excited about <laughs> so that, yeah. at the Crown Casino on the 9th of the 28th will be, will be uh, the championships and 29th is a test um, test match in Melbourne at uh, Eddie Had Stadium then on the 30th, I'm doing something really, really silly, and I am cycling the uh, match ball from the Lions game in Etihad, uh, Etihad Stadium all the way to the ANZ Stadium, the long way around the Princess Highway oh my uh, on my push bike with um, four other Wallabies, classic Wallabies, uh, five with? British Lions and uh, 30 sponsors in um, aid of uh, uh, Red Kite, which is a charity to help support uh, young children and their families um, with cancer yeah. and through the entire journey, and including uh, supplying them with uh, emotional, financial and educational support and things like that. Jeez. So how many Ks are you doing? A, how, how long is it over and how many Ks are you doing a day? Uh, it starts on the Sunday and finishes on the Saturday, the test match. So uh, it's six days, 1,000 yeah. kilometres. Uh, so we, we sort of, the, the smallest ride is 150 Ks and the largest is 190 Oh, um, I've only ridden 160 k's once in my life, and I sort of uh, gave up riding for a month after that. I was so <laughs> sore, so it's a big ask. I haven't done really any riding for the last three years, so um, I'm doing some quick training at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it could be interesting to see how the body feels after those couple of matches as well. Yeah, well, that's the other risk is uh, you know sustaining injury and in that. So I've pre-booked into the doctor. I've pre-booked into the physio. <laughs> um, I'm getting proactive uh, massage um, done. So um, you know, fairly much. I'm, I'm using it as a, a train-through event. Actually, I'm being quite professional about it. So uh, the focus is uh, really on the on the ride. Yeah. Um, there's you know a lot of sponsorship on the line for the charity yeah. and uh, want to make sure uh, we get, get through intact. But no, really looking forward to the, the rugby games, actually. It's, it's a huge nostalgic time for me you know, yeah. and all of my teammates. Um, you know, getting back together again. You're mates for life, but you don't see each other too often because everyone's busy in their own, own worlds. Oh. And um, you know, it's great, great to get back together, not only just with the Wallabies, but also I know a lot of the, the Lions through, not playing the Lions, but playing the, the British and the... The, sorry, the, the uh, English and the Scottish, Welsh, uh, all those years ago. Awesome. All right, mate. Well, look, it's been uh, great having a yarn and good luck with all of that. that <laughs> that's quite amazing, um, the amount of stuff you're going to be doing there over, over that time. And that's a long old bloody ride. So, um, yeah, get your saddle cream, mate. I think you're going to need it. Yeah, we've been warned to get plenty of saddle cream and... Uh, <laughs> And plenty of cement for uh, to to harden harden the f up, they say. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're um, really looking forward to it. And look, thanks for the opportunity to have a chat. And uh, you know, I'm sure you can pop the details for uh, Red Kite, which is a very important yep. cause um, for for our kids and families suffering going through cancer. So, um, but look, thanks for having us uh, on the site, and look forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah, no, we'll do, mate. I, I'm, I've heard about these. Uh Kind of little scrum clinics that um, you and Scott have um, in in the cafe every now and again. It sounds to me like you guys should record one of those one day for our, for our more hardcore scrum listeners. Yeah, look, I don't know if it would rate extremely highly, but I'm <laughs> sure you you know you get the you know it's sort of like we're the centre of dark arts. But you know, there's there's after each game, you know, you see the front rowers; they'll be sitting in the corner of the bar. 
having a having a beer, looking really, you know, really concerned where they'll be talking about the scrum scrums of the game, uh, and they'll actually take longer to talk about the scrums of the game than the scrums actually took. <laughs> but you know, it's not for everyone. Um, it's a very special society, but it's uh, it is very powerful as well. We can do lots of amazing things. Good one. All right, mate. great to talk to you, um, and uh, and good luck with everything you're doing over the next month. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Good on you, Ox. Thanks for coming on. Bye. Right there, right there. Anyway, great to talk to uh, the Ox there. Those uh, sessions you guys have in that cafe sound pretty intriguing. Yeah, mate. uh, It's hilarious. You know, there's two big blokes sitting at a, a little table and... Sometimes we both got laptops and we're showing each other clips of scrums that happen on the weekend and what do you reckon here and what do you reckon there and we're on the phone to each other a couple of times a week saying, did you see this scrum and did, how's this player going? And, <laughs> and then the same cafe we go to, uh, Andy McIntyre, the ex-Wallaby prop, uh, he, he comes in as well for lunch and so you know, then the, another one comes over and there's these scrum sessions going on. God knows what people sitting in the cafe, think. <laughs> they probably think you're organising a hit. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, Ox, Ox is a very passionate scrum man. Just a funny story, we, we, we've coached together and, uh, you know, we, we had a yellow card once and so we were short in the scrum. And so uh, he's saying, well, we need our number 12 to come into the scrum. But he doesn't know the backs' names. Mm-hmm. He just says, oh, I'm not going to bother learning their names. They're backs. <laughs> so, number 12, number 12, you've got to come in here. So we're screaming <laughs> from the sideline. Uh, he comes in, and of course, he had to do that, I think, three games in a row. We kept getting yellow cards. And so, Ox learned his name. He was the only backs' name he knew. Well, I only want to talk to you because you packed in the scrum. <laughs> <laughs> he was, yeah, he, he was de- deemed okay because he'd packed a few scrums. Yeah, and he, he did get frustrated with some of our kicking, and he wanted to take kicking sessions because he'd come from Victoria. And we said, no, and no, Ox, you know, it'll be all right, mate. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Um, all righty, well, look, um, big game on the weekend. Look forward to the Reds one. I'm going to be there um, uh, and uh, st- staying at uh, Allen Towers. Look forward to that. Uh, I think uh, we probably won't be in a position to be doing much analysis that night, but we might... Uh, <laughs> We might try and record something, I think, maybe uh, up there in, in Brisbane if we can get the internet to work and, uh, and get something out on Sunday, maybe. Yeah, I saw the email from Coat, who's organised our lunch and whatever else we're doing, some of the other events that are going on, yeah. said this only happens once every 12 years, so no soft options allowed. So <laughs> It could be a little bit messy on the day. Anyway, but that should be a, that should be a cracker. We look forward to that. And uh, thanks, for everybody, for listening. Uh, like I say, uh, look out... We're doing more uh, often, well, you know, more regular podcasts uh, through the lines too. There's so much to talk about. Probably aiming for about two a week. Um, we'll probably have one out. I'm thinking on Sunday would make sense, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, so we'll get something out then and then maybe one towards the back end of the week, maybe after the country game. Uh, so keep your eyes out then. Good to see you, mate, and I'll see you on Saturday. Thanks okay. everybody else. Thanks for coming. Right there, right there.